Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 21, how God promised Sarah would conceive at the appointed time, how God is always punctual, and what God promises will happen, and His timing is always best. This message is available for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can listen to this message as well as others from the past, and you can also find many more messages available for free listening and download on our podcast at iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. As we're seeing in these last days, lots happening with the nation of Israel. Now, as we're in these last days and hours, we want you to have a part in what we're doing with the Friendship with God radio program and Israel Restoration Ministries, who Tom Cantor is the founder of. Now, this program is sent to Jewish people so that they can understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and how to understand better the Old Testament, the Torah, the Tanakh. Tom Cantor uses these messages as well as the outreach materials that he's developed for Israel Restoration Ministries to reach and evangelize lost Jewish people. Now, you can help us by supporting the Friendship with God radio program with a tax-deductible donation. Every dollar that you give goes 100% back into supporting this radio program staying on the air. And also, if you give a donation to Israel Restoration Ministries, you will also have a tax-deductible donation, and 100% of it will go towards Jewish evangelism and reaching the lost Jewish people in this nation, the United States, Canada, South America, Israel, and abroad, wherever Israel restoration goes, where there's Jewish communities and Jewish people that need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can support us online by going to israelrestoration.org, israelrestoration.org, or friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can donate online or calling us now or after our program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 21 how God promised Sarah would conceive at the appointed time. Man delights in discovering himself, which is why we have the church of self-realization, which is really a church of self-egotism or a church of self-deception. Because when a man truly discovers himself, he discovers necrosis. He discovers death. Man delights to discover his own heart because it's a practice that it's a disease. It's like a disease that's described in Jeremiah 17, 9, when it says the heart Speaking of the disease, it's kind of like, this is a real heart disease. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then in Galatians 6.3, that same disease is described when it says, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And in Jeremiah 10.23, it says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. See, what Jeremiah was saying there in his prayer to God, he was saying that he knows that he doesn't have within himself, and you don't have within yourself, and I don't have within ourselves, we don't have within ourselves the ability to direct ourselves. And he says that it's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. There's no hope of finding direction in life, which is what the Bible says is, all, is given to the good man. The good man in Psalm 37, 23 through 34, 
23 through 24, Psalm 37, where it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. So what we see from the use of the word chefetz, and also in this verse, is that, see, it's the same word that's used in this Psalm 37, where it says, the Lord delighteth in the way of the man who lets God order his steps. It's the same word that's used in Proverbs 18.2, the fool hath no delight, the fool hath no chefetz in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. So, in that it's the same way that a fool has this enthralling delight where he loses his head to discover himself. See, God has the enthralling delight in the life of a man who lets God order his steps. And those verses that tell us that God delights in the man who lets God order his step also speak of the man who trusts in God. And it speaks of the man who trusts in God in Psalm 37, 24, as falling. It refers to him as falling. It says falling. And we've seen that so far. We've seen how Abraham and and Sarah have fallen. They fell into lies. They fell into uh, the wrong way with Hagar and so forth. They fell, but they were not utterly cast down. And there is one explanation for why the God-trusting man is not utterly cast down. And there's one explanation for why Abraham and Sarah were not utterly cast down when they fell. And it's simply stated in Psalm 37, 24, the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. That's beautiful. The Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The only reason Abraham and Sarah and you and I are not utterly cast down is because when we fall, Jehovah Jesus reaches out his hand to us and helps us up. You know, it's like the song, you know, there are many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow. I know who holds my hand. So the greatest fall that you and I will take is when we fall into death. And trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be utterly cast down when we fall into death, because though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And when we come to die, we'll know the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. It's the hand of Jehovah Jesus that holds our hand and just guides us through the death, through death. We have a program at Grossmont Hospital called the 11th Hour Program, and it's a program of compassion and of companionship, where the idea is that if a patient is in the final hours of life and he or she is alone, and the nurses see that and is alone, then they call someone who's in the 11th hour program, who's a compassionate volunteer, and what does he do? He comes and he passes, he goes with the person as the person, so the person doesn't die alone. He goes there. And, you know, Christians, we as Christians, as evangelical Christians, We are called to be in God's 11th hour program with the sense that we're to have a compassion. We don't want anyone to die without Jehovah Jesus' hand holding him through death. We feel the desperacy of any person dying without Jehovah Jesus holding his hand through death. And it's the crisis of dying alone. This is why it's so important for us to bring people to the Lord Jesus. So we step back. We looked at the passage. We see Sarah and Abraham in a state of dying and death. And then we see in verse 2, everything changes 
because Sarah conceived and she bears Abraham a son of his old age. See, death was stopped and life came. And when we step back and we look at these verses, what we see emphasized is these words that come to us three times in the middle of verse 1, as he had said, at the end of verse 1, as he had spoken, at the end of verse 2, in which God had spoken to him. See, all those statements are emphasizing the word of God. They're emphasizing what God said. So Abraham was old, so Sarah was old, and both of them were in this state of death and dying. And then the word of God came, and it all changed. The word of God took place, and life came. And you freeze that picture, just that picture. And what we see is that Abraham and Sarah, that's us. We're like Abraham and Sarah in our state of death. And we look within ourselves, and we don't see any hope. And like Abraham and Sarah, there's no hope. Then like Abraham and Sarah, what happens? The word of God takes place. And so for us, we have in our lives the as he said, the as he had spoken, the God has spoken to him, and we become sort of like Isaac, the newborn, described in this place, but also in 1 Peter 1.23, where it describes you and I, and it says, being born again. We were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So a key word in that verse in 1 Peter 1.23 is the word by, through, where we were born again by or through the word of God. See, in the creation, God looked on the waters, which there was no life in the waters. Remember, after the waters were created, there was no life. And then God said in Genesis 1.20, and the Lord said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, nephesh is the word, and the fowl fly above the earth and so forth. And then in verse 24 of Genesis 1, it said, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living, nephesh, creature, after his kind, cattle and creepers and so forth. So in the creation, in essence, God was saying in these verses, let there be life. See, that was like what God was doing here. He was saying, let there be, everything was let there be. Well, in these verses also, it's like God is saying, let there be life. And that's the nature of God. That's who he is. Just like he did in creation, when he sees a person who cries out to him in their deadness, in their death, then he again looks down and he says, life for that person. Let there be life, eternal life. And that's what God loves to do. God loves to do that. That's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ said about himself in John eleven twenty five when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, doesn't matter, yet shall he live. That's right, Bill, you got it. And John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, I'm the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Then we read this statement in verse 2. Sarah conceived and buried him a son in his old age at the set time. That's interesting. At the set time of which God has spoken to him. That's very interesting. You know, that's the second time in the Bible that we've read that term, at the set time. The first time was when God made the promise in the first place in Genesis 17.2 that Isaac was going to be born. In 17.21, Genesis 17.21, where it said, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time, he said, at this set time in the next year. So before Isaac was ever born, he said he was going to establish his covenant 
with Isaac. And God said to them, Sarah's going to bear Isaac at this set time in the next year. So God had come to Abraham a year before, before Isaac had born. And then God said to Abraham, okay, Abraham, mark this day on your calendar. <laughs> so yeah, that's your day planner. And mark this day a year from now, because exactly one year to the date, this exact date, God said, Isaac's going to be born. That's the set time. And he was born on exactly that date, as God referred to in our passage here, verse 2, the set time. So when God uses that phrase, the set time, it shows us how important this date was to God. When God uses the term, the set time, it makes us think of the other set times that were important to God, that God had on his calendar as important times. There was the set time of our birth, each one of us, the set time of our birth. That's an important date for God. When we entered into the world, when we started on our trip through God's museum called the world, and that was important when he began the teaching process of every person as they entered into his his world, and God begins to teach them, and God begins to draw them to himself. And then we travel through life, and we become more and more aware that we are out of sorts with God. We're alienated from God. We're sinful. And we see the exhibitions of death, and we become more and more aware that the wages for our sin gets a little personal, is death. And we become frightened by death. And God saw us in our fear, and he sent by different ways his gospel to save us from our sins. Those were important set times. Important times that God presented his gospel to us. And as a matter of fact, there have been many set times when the gospel was presented. And all those were very important set times for God. And so many times that it was so important for God when the gospel was presented to his Jewish people that which each of those set times God wanted to gather the Jewish people from the danger and he spoke of all those set times to the Jewish people with the word how often in Matthew 23, 37, when he addressed the city and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. Those were their set times. How often would I have gathered thee, gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? And you would not. Each one of those times was when Jehovah Jesus was stretching out his arms to the Jewish people, and he's saying the words, in essence, of Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And what happens to be that verse just happens to be the favorite verse of my Jewish atheist friend. That's what he calls himself, a Jewish atheist, Al Rodbell. And so every time the Lord Jesus Christ stretches out his arms and gives this invitation, that's the set times. And that's the last invitation in the Bible that's given to anyone who's thirsty and wants to drink. And the last invitation of Revelation twenty-two seventeen is, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And every time he makes that invitation, that's an important set time by God. And we can see that God looking at his calendar saying, here's another important set time for the gospel invitation. And that was the time when he stood in the temple in John 7, 37. It says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. 
and drink. In John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me, never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. And every one of those is an important set time. And we have them in our lives. And why are they important set times? Because that's a time for man to come to those crossroads once again where he has to make a decision, receive or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive or reject God's invitation to be saved. And then the other important set time is the time when all the invitations stop, when all the opportunities stop, when all the chances to be saved stop. And that's called the set time or the appointed time in Hebrews 9.27 where it says, and as it is appointed or set, Unto men, once to die, but after this the judgment. See, that's the time that's appointed for every man to die, and then there's another appointed time in Acts 17.31 after that, because it says, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. And he explained in John 5.22, the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. And so that's the important day, the set time. So it reminds us, when we read this here in in Genesis, God is very punctual in his time. But he promises what will happen at a certain time, and it's not our set time, it's his set time, which is the best time. Now, we cannot read this phrase in verse 2 at the set time with thinking of the very important time when the set time was called in Galatians 4.4, the fullness of time. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. See, that's the fullness of time. That's an important set time when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. When what happened was John 1.14, the word was made flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that leads us into thinking of the similarities between the birth of Isaac in our chapter and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, both births were announced long before they happened. For Isaac, we read in Genesis 17, 19, God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear a son, indeed, thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I'll establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his seed after him. For the Lord Jesus Christ, similar words were spoken in Genesis 3.15, where it describes, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and And her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his his heel. See, there's going to be the seed of the woman that's coming. It's announced. There were set times of their births that were fixed by God. See, Isaac, it says, as we said in Genesis 18.10, he said, I'll certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it. And then it says in Genesis 17, 21, as we saw, my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah will bear unto you at this set time in next year. For the Lord Jesus Christ, in Genesis 49.10, at the last words of Jacob, when he is giving his final blessing, his final words to his son Judah, he says in Genesis 49.10, the scepter is not going to depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. See, that was a set time he was describing. There was a set time for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Daniel 9.26, where it says, after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off or killed, not for himself. And then both of them, both of their births, it was against nature. It was against nature. We already saw that. For Isaac, Abraham thought it's impossible. He laughed at the thought 
of Sarah having a baby. And says in Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that's 100 years old and shall Sarah that's 90 years old bear? And Sarah also thought it was impossible. And she laughed at the thought of having a baby as we read in Genesis 18, 12. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? So it was a big laughing matter. As a matter of fact, that's why God says we'll just uh, memorialize that with his name. <laughs> we'll call him laughter. We'll call him laughter, laughter. That'll be the baby's name. Anyway, and for the Lord Jesus Christ was against nature also from Isaiah seven fourteen, where it says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And in both cases, God named the sons to the fathers before they were born. We saw that for Isaac in Genesis 17, 19. God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And we also see that in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 1, 21, where it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, that was the command of God to the father Abraham and to Joseph. That was the command. And they obeyed. And they both obeyed. Both the fathers obeyed. And it's about Isaac. It says in our next verse, Genesis 21, 3, and Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And for the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 1, 25, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn. And he called his name Jesus. Both sons brought a great joy to their fathers. For Isaac, we read the verse already in verse 8, Genesis 21, 8, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Seems strange, you know, everybody's waiting around for the baby to stop breastfeeding, and they have a big party, I don't know. I don't think he had any problem with self-esteem. Anyway, and then the Lord Jesus Christ it says in Matthew three sixteen through 17, Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, both the sons obeyed their fathers unto death. See, in Isaac, when we come sometime no promises when, to the next chapter. In in Genesis 22, 2, we read this verse. And he said, as God speaking now to Abraham, take thou thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. See, and then we read, and so Abraham, he, he alone has this within his mind, that he's going to offer his son. He's going to be obedient to God, and he's going to offer his son. He doesn't discuss this with anyone. He doesn't discuss this with Isaac. He doesn't discuss this with his servants. He for sure doesn't discuss this with Sarah, otherwise there may have been some other offering take place. But, <laughs> but uh, he's got it all alone in his mind. I mean, Abraham, he's a, my son. And as the way God said it, I know he's your son. I know he's your only son. I know you love him. And I'm telling you to offer him. So he's got this in his mind. And he starts off, as we know, early in the morning. And the thing that's so interesting is Abraham with his son Isaac, the relationship 
that's brought out for us in that chapter. And we read in Genesis 22, 7 through 10, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father? And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And this really puts Abraham on the spot. And it says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place that God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. See, as Abraham and his son, the Isaac, they're walking along together. Abraham doesn't even know at first where they're going. He says, I'll tell you of the mountain. But now they're heading up to Mount Moriah. He knows now. And Isaac begins to wonder, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And so Isaac, who is walking with his father who loved him, this tremendous relationship between them, the son Isaac looks into the eyes of Abraham, his father, who never had lied to him, and who he has this tremendous mutual love for each other. And he's looking into the eyes of this loving father, and he asks him this all-searching question that Abraham knows the answer to. And he says, Father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. If you enjoy this Bible teaching radio program, we need your support. So call us now to set up a one-time donation or a monthly donation to help ensure that this Bible teaching radio program continues on this station. You can call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or you can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Any support you give is 100% tax deductible in your donation. So call us with your support, 800-247-3051.